following is a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more information on Shore or our teaching resources, visit www.shore.org.nz. So I thought what we'd do to kick all this off is say the Apostles' Creed. I mean, we've said some of it in that song that we uh, sung earlier. But uh, just to begin familiarizing ourselves with this creed, I thought that we would all just speak it together. And then we'll dive in and look at the first part of it today. That sound all right? Plus, you could probably do with a bit of a stretch, couldn't you, at this point in the, in the service. Anyway, so why don't we stand up, put the words on screen, and let's say it like we believe it. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. I always feel a need to say it, but when you said the Holy Catholic Church, we're not just talking about Roman Catholics. Okay, I know some of you are like, what? I didn't think I was in a Catholic church. It's okay. It just means the whole church, the whole universal church. We'll talk about that when we get to that part of the series. So for this morning, we're going to talk about that first sentence in the creed, which says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Uh, there was a Herald article that caught my eye this past week. And uh, the headline was, The Fear of God. It's what makes us nicer. It was interesting. And it was based on some research that's been done, international research, uh, interviews with hundreds, maybe thousands of people, and a range of different countries and cultures. And basically, the researchers think that they've come up with this link whereby a culture that has a more punitive view of God, so cultures that have a view of a deity that is pretty mean and foreboding and angry and judgmental and vengeful, those cultures tend to be better behaved. So they tend to be nicer people and they're more generous and they're more altruistic and it's a more cooperative kind of society. And so the article was trying to say that the more punitive your God is or your deity that you worship, the more wrathful your God is, the more you're likely to be a well-behaved person and you'll be more moral and you'll kind of mind your manners a little bit more. It was interesting. I don't know how much truth there is to all of that, but it does, I think, at least highlight the fact that whatever perception we have of God will affect our lives in some way. If you believe in God or you believe in a deity at all, whatever your perception of that being, whatever how you perceive God, how you understand him or her or it or whatever, that is going to have implications for your lives. You, you may not even be conscious of half of those implications, but it will work itself out in the way that you relate to that God and the way that you relate to other people. It just will. So as Christians, it's so vitally important that our understanding and our perception of God is based on what Scripture says and not just on what we kind of happen to fall into thinking about God 
or the kind of folk theology that we've picked up along the way or what our families passed on to us, good as that may be, or, or whatever we kind of think of God, but, but deeply grounded in the biblical portrayal of who God is. And that's what we're going to try and do in this series. And you may have noticed as we talked through the creed that it's kind of got this Trinitarian flow to it. So we start with God the Father, and then it moves to Jesus the Son, and then it moves to the Holy Spirit. And so the core, the, the, the series will follow that, that kind of theme. We'll start with God the Father, and then we're going to do two weeks on Jesus, and then we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and so on. And a big chunk of this series is going to be getting our heads and hearts around who God is, so that we can relate to Him well and relate to others well. So we're going to start by looking at God as our Father. And what I want to do this morning is just simply ask the question, what does it mean for us to call God Father? What do we do? I mean, we use that word all the time. Christians use that word all the time. It's probably the most common word that people have for talking to God. We pray, Father God, this, and Father, help me with this, and Father, thank you for this, and Father, I love you, and Father, I worship you. I mean, that word rolls off our tongues if you're a Christian, in, in addressing God. But I'm not sure we always know exactly what we mean when we address God as Father. What are we saying? When we confess God as being our Father in, in, the, in a creed like that, what are we confessing? What does it mean for us to call God our Father? So I want to trace this theme of God as Father through the Scripture to look at how God is portrayed as a Father and how that relates to our lives, how that applies to our lives. So we're going to start... In Deuteronomy, of all places, if you've got a Bible with you, th these verses will be on screen, but it's great to open your Bible if you've got one. Deuteronomy 32. We start here because this is the first place in the Bible where God is called Father. I didn't know that, but this is the first time that God is referred to as a Father. Deuteronomy 32. And it's in the context of Israel on the threshold of the promised land. Israel's journeyed through the wilderness. They're on the edge of Canaan. They're about to take possession of the land. And Moses now gives Israel a series of speeches to encourage them towards remaining faithful to God when they enter the land. And at this particular point in his speech, Moses is rebuking Israel. He's reminding them of how disobedient they've been. And he's pleading with them not to carry on in that path when they get into the promised land. So here's what he says, Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? So Moses didn't have the Apostles' Creed, but he's picking up a couple of phrases that turn up in the Apostles' Creed. The idea of God as creator, that's in there. Moses talks about God as our creator. That would have been very familiar to Jewish people, the idea that the world was created by God. So far, so good. But then for the first time, you have this reference to God as Father. God is our Father. And so the question is, if God's referred to here as Father, who is He the Father of? Who are His children in this passage? God is Father. Who are His children? Israel, right? In this context, God is presenting himself as a father to the nation of Israel. So before we talk about God, my father and my heavenly father and our father and all of this, we've got to remember in the biblical story, before God was our father, he was the father of Israel. He had this people who he was a father to and they were like a son to him. This goes all the way back to uh, when Moses stood before Pharaoh. 
and demanded the release of the Hebrews, the Hebrew slaves. And God says to Pharaoh through Moses, he says, let my son go. Not just let my people go. He said, let my son go that he may worship me. So God refers explicitly to Israel as his son, his only begotten son. Gives you a bit of a hint of who Jesus is coming down the track. But Israel first was God's only begotten son, his precious son. And so throughout the Old Testament, you have this relationship where God is a father and Israel is his child. And that explains so much that even when Israel is disobedient and rebellious, completely abandons God, God cannot give Israel up. Why not? Because he's a father. Because he's a loving father. I mean, he says at one point in the Old Testament, can a mother give up the child at her breast? Neither can I give you up, Israel. I cannot abandon you. I cannot give you. He can't do it. He's constrained by his own fatherly love for his people as his child. He just can't walk away from them. So he bears with them and he disciplines them when they get out of line and when they turn away from him. He, he will discipline them and he will, he will bring punishment to bring them back, but always out of a father's heart, always out of a father's love. And so this is the first important piece to get in place in thinking about God as our father that he is the father of Israel. And through the Old Testament, that's what the relationship was between God and his people, the relationship of a father to his son. Now then, you get into the Gospels. And the, the theme of God as father is not really prominent in the Old Testament, but it's hugely prominent in the Gospels. And it's because Jesus comes along and he calls God father all the time. It's his preferred way of speaking about God, uh, not to address him as Yahweh or the Lord Almighty or these titles, but as Father. And so Jesus is constantly talking about my Father. My Father sent me. My, I do the will of my Father in heaven. I do what pleases the Father. I'm going back to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's always talking about the Father. In one sense, that's not unusual because you've got this Old Testament precedent for calling God Father. So Jesus is not doing anything unconventional there. But what he does do that is unique is he uses a new word to go along with Father that no one else was using. Turn over to Mark chapter 14. You see what I mean? In Mark 14, you have this beautiful glimpse into the unique relationship between Jesus and his Father. And Jesus here is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the last night of his, of his life before his death on the cross. He's struggling. He's in anguish. He's in deep distress. And in Mark 14, verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus there doesn't just call God Father, but he puts this word before Father calls him Abba, Father. That's not the band, by the way. It's not, in case you're wondering how they got in the Bible, they're not there. This is, this is a word, this is, this is a, a very Jewish word. It was used by Hebrew children to refer to their dads in a really affectionate kind of way. It's, it's a very hard word to translate. It sort of seems to sit somewhere between dad and daddy. Somewhere in there. It's not quite daddy uh, because it was used of older children as well even even as an adult you could call your dad Abba and it was a term of affiction and endearment it was that kind of term that just 
brought up all the closeness and the nearness and the depth and the intimacy of a loving father-to-child relationship. And I understand that Abba originally came out of uh, when Hebrew boys and girls were learning to speak. And, uh, you know, they, they began to form the words to address their parents. And just as uh, English-speaking kids might say, Dada, uh, for Hebrew kids, they would say, Abba. And this was how they began to learn to address their dad. Uh, that kind of babbling sound, say, Abba. So one of the first words that they would have learnt. And for many kids, it was carried on through life as a way of addressing their father and um, implying all the love that went along with that. And so Jesus is the first person the only person, as far as we know, to use this word, not just in reference to his earthly father, but in reference to God the Father. And it takes you into this unique relationship that Jesus had with God the Father that far surpassed any other person. He didn't just call God Father as another Jewish person would have because Jesus stood in a unique relationship to God the Father. And not just during his earthly life. Even before Jesus became human, he existed from eternity past in this relationship between God the Father and God the Son, this intimate family relationship, the bond of love between Father and Son held together by the Holy Spirit, this perfect communion of love. And so before God is our Father, and before He is the Father of Israel, He is the Father of His own Son, Jesus. This is the primary way in which we need to think about God as Father, that God the Father is the Father of God. God the Son. He's the Father of Jesus. And that's a relationship that's been going on from eternity past. It'll go on into eternity future. And Jesus was the only one whose relationship with God was so close, so near, so intimate, that he was able to call God during his earthly life, Abba, Father. But here is where it gets exciting for us. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. This is where it all begins to relate to our lives and we get drawn into this amazing story of God as Father. Romans chapter 8, and now this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter. Uh, and he says in Romans 8 verse 15, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So there's that word again, Abba. And this time it's in reference not to Jesus saying, Abba, Father, this is us. We now get the unspeakable privilege of calling God Abba, Father. And the way this happens, when a person becomes a Christian, when a person gives their life to God, gives their life to Jesus, they become adopted into God's family. God has only one child, one natural-born child, and that's Jesus. God's got only one son, but he's got many, 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 many adopted children. And that's us, if we're followers of Jesus, if we love Jesus. We become adopted in through Jesus into the family and our adoption is so secure that we have all the full rights and privileges of the natural born son Jesus. We get to call God Father. We get to call him Abba. We get to be children of God. We get to have the same kind of intimacy with the Father now that Jesus had. We get to call him Abba. And this is not just us having an intimate relationship with God 
like Jesus had. There's another step that we can take this. When, when you become a Christian, you are drawn into the identity of Jesus. So Christ becomes your life. It's, it's kind of like we are enveloped with Christ. We are in Christ now. We stand in Christ. His life is our life. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. And his relationship with the Father is now our relationship with the Father. So it's not just that we have a relationship with the Father kind of like Jesus had, but we now share in Jesus' own relationship with God the Father. If you can imagine yourself enveloped in Christ, and then as Jesus relates to the Father, it's you relating to the Father. By the Holy Spirit, we share in the Son's relationship to the Father. By the Holy Spirit, we participate in the Son's own communion with the Father. So Jesus calls God Abba. That's us calling God Abba. We are drawn into this beautiful, loving family relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. We get to taste it. We get to participate in something of that. Not that we become gods. We're not talking about we become part of the Trinity. But we are drawn into this circle of love that is flowing between Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus' relationship with God becomes our relationship with God because we are anchored in Christ. Everything he has is ours, including his own relationship with Abba. That's why we get to call God Abba Father. It's an amazing privilege. When you think about those words of the Apostles' Creed, you know, we confess God as creator and we acknowledge him as the almighty and we think of his hugeness, you think of his vastness, you think of his sovereignty, and yet God has drawn us so near to him and he has made himself so available to us that we get to share in this intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. And we get to call him Abba. We get to address him as Dad or Daddy. That's how close this relationship gets. I don't know whether... You've ever experienced that kind of closeness with God? I don't know whether you've ever tried even calling God Abba. It's not that you need to use that specific word, but that word opens up the kind of relationship that we get to have with God, a relationship of nearness, incredible closeness, incredible intimacy. And the reality is that relationship is yours whether you feel it or not. If you're a Christian, you might say, oh, well, I don't really feel that close to God. I, don't, I, I kind of feel like there's a bit of distance between me and him. But the reality is, if you've given your life to God, you are in that relationship right now. You're in Christ. You're wrapped up in him. You stand in that closeness to God. All you need to do is claim it and just know that it is already true and real for you. Yeah, your emotions can catch up later, but you know this is true. This is the relationship that you have with God. So don't worry if you don't feel it. You can just know it and claim it by faith that you have this incredibly close relationship now with God the Father because of Jesus. In and through Jesus the Son, we can call him Abba. It's an amazing thing. So we've talked about how we relate to God as Father in this relationship of proximity and nearness. And I want to just finish by looking at the way in which God then relates to us as a father to children how does God approach us as his children how does he connect with us and to do this I want to look at one final passage from the Bible it's a pretty well-known passage so what I thought we'd do rather than come on down Peter rather than uh, 
reading this passage. I thought I'd show you a picture of it or a painting of it to be more precise. Peter's going to set this up and uh, you can guess which passage of the Bible you think this painting is of. What story of the Bible is this representing? The prodigal son. So Jesus told this story and this, is, this painting is a certified copy of a, of a Rembrandt painting. It's all the way from Russia, from the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. And it's one of the last paintings Rembrandt did in his life in the 18th century. And he's depicting this moment when the son comes home. The story's pretty well known. There's a son and he demands his father's inheritance while the father's still alive, which in, in that culture was basically as good as saying, I wish you were dead, dad. He takes the money, he squanders it in the far country in wild living, promiscuous living, and then he runs out of money, uh, runs out of friends. The only work he can get is feeding pigs. He starts eating the food the pigs eat because he's got nothing else. And then he comes to his senses and says, I'm going to return home. I'm going to say sorry to my father and just ask him to take me back as a slave, not even as a son. But as he comes back, the father runs towards him, open arms, this elderly father, and embraces him. And he says, quick, get, the, get, get some new shoes for my son. Get a ring, put it on his finger. Get a robe, kill the fattened calf. And we're going we're gonna to feast tonight because my son was lost and now he's found. He was dead and now he's alive. And, and Rembrandt pictures this moment when the son comes home. The elder brother's looking on. There's some bystanders looking on. You won't be able to see all the detail of the painting from where you are. If you want to come up at the end and have a look at it, because there's just layers and layers of detail in this painting. But here's this moment when the son comes home. It's fascinating to think that when, when Jesus told this story, and this is Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son, that he told that story to show us what the father is like, who the father is like. And we know the story as the prodigal son, but it, it, could, have, it could have just as easily have been called the prodigal father. Prodigal meaning reckless, extravagant, wasteful, the father is reckless with his love. The son's been reckless with his life. The father's reckless with love, reckless with compassion, just throws it, lavishes it upon his son, even though the son doesn't deserve it at all. It's amazing to think that uh, we acknowledge God as our creator, as the sovereign Lord, God Almighty. And yet when Jesus wanted to describe to us, Jesus who knew the father more than any of us ever will, when he came to describe to us who God the Father is, this is how he described him. As an elderly man who's just welcoming, embracing his lost son back home again. Let me just point out one detail in this painting. Rembrandt deliberately painted the two hands of the Father quite differently. The left hand, it's a very masculine hand, and it's very firm, it's almost gripping the, son of, uh, the, the shoulder of the son, this sort of firm hand. The right hand is a much more feminine hand. And it's just resting on the shoulder of the son, quite gently, quite tenderly. And it's quite likely, people believe, that what Rembrandt was doing was portraying these two sides of the father's nature, the father's character. On the one hand, you have the strength of the father, that he is a strong God. 
powerful, that He has His hand firmly upon us every moment, has His, his hand firmly upon the world every moment. And yet this other hand of the Father just shows His tenderness, His love, just this gentleness, just this hand that just rests upon us, just loving us, just welcoming us, just giving mercy to us. And I think this painting, the story that Jesus told, it really invites us to ask this question. I want to finish with this. Where are we in this story? Where are we in this picture? Who are you? Who do you identify with here? Where can you see yourself? In relation to the Father, if this is God the Father, this loving Father, where are you? It may be that you identify with the elder brother. He was the one who kind of looked at the, at the younger son with, with disdain and with judgment because he'd been a good son all his life, the elder son. He'd behaved himself. He hadn't left home. He hadn't had a rebellious streak. So he couldn't understand how the father was being so prodigal, so reckless with his love. And I think for some of us, I mean, in this room, so many of you have been Christians for decades. A lot of you have been Christians for most of your life. This is who you are. And yet, so often we can drift into being this elder brother and we just start taking the love of the Father for granted, don't we? And we may not overtly judge other people, but we can just become overly familiar and comfortable with the love of the Father, kind of drift into this pattern of deserving, just feeling like, yeah, we, we kind of deserve this, sense of entitlement about it, just a sense of over-familiarity with the love of the Father. And I think God the Father would invite us back to become the younger son again. If you see yourself in the shoes of the elder brother, I want to encourage you today to become the younger brother, to become the prodigal child, and to fall on your knees and just recognize how utterly undeserving you are. No matter how faithful you may have been through your life, may never have come off the rails, may never have you know, wandered away from God. That's good, that's wonderful. But still, God calls us to recognize at the end of it all, we are so utterly undeserving of the Father's love. There's nothing in us that's worthy of this. There's nothing in us that's earned a scratch of it. Nothing in us that has any merit. God just wants us to fall down and just receive His love afresh. And maybe you really do see yourself as the prodigal son, as the younger son this morning. Maybe that's not hard for you to see yourself there. You know you're broken. You know you're in deep need. You know you need the Father's love. I think sometimes we are our own worst enemy and we're the ones who stop ourselves coming back to the Father for too long and we put it off and we put it off and we put it off. And I just encourage you this morning, if you're the younger child, just to remember the Father is running towards you. That's how, that's how Jesus tells the story. The Father, I mean, elderly men in this culture didn't run and yet here's this aged, decrepit old man just running towards his child. All he wants is just enfold him in his arms. And the son doesn't even get halfway through his sorry speech before the father says, I don't want to hear it anymore. You were dead and now you're alive. You were lost, but now you're found. Let's feast. It's all that matters. It's all the father wants to say to you. He doesn't want to hear your sorry speech. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how deep the pit has been that you've been in. It doesn't matter how many million times you've stuffed up on the same thing over and over and over and over again. All he wants is to enfold you in his arms and say, my child, my son, my daughter, you were lost, but now you're found. You were dead and now you're alive. Welcome home. And maybe you're one of these bystanders in the shadows. There's these shadowy figures there. I don't know whether you can see them. Just kind of looking on. It's hard to know what they're thinking. 
Hard to know how they're responding to the whole thing. But maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're just kind of looking on at all this and you're not quite sure where you're at with God. Don't know quite where you stand. Maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian. Don't know whether you've really received the Father's love. Maybe you've been around church a lot. Maybe you haven't. But you're just kind of back there in the shadows. I just want to invite you this morning to come out of the shadows. Just invite you this morning to come out of the darkness and into the light of the love of the Father. And that's not about you doing anything. It is all about you receiving the Father's love. It is not about you getting your life together first. It is not about you getting all the answers first. It's not about you cleaning up your act first. It is about you falling on your knees and just being enfolded in the embrace of the Father, just receiving His love. So wherever you are in relation to God the Father, I want to encourage you to become this younger prodigal child with the two hands of the Father resting on your shoulder, the hand of strength and the hand of mercy and compassion. This is the Father of Israel. This is the Father of Jesus. This is the God who gives us the unbelievable privilege of calling him Abba, Abba Father, and the God who just waits with open arms to welcome each of us home. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to open our hearts to the love that you so freely pour into our lives. God, you're so ready to bring us home. You're so ready to forgive us. But we stand in the way, God. Our own stubbornness, our own unwillingness to forgive ourselves. And we just can't believe, God, that you would really accept us just as we are just in all of our brokenness. God, I thank you. You stand before us as this loving Father running towards us, arms open wide. God, help us this morning to just allow you to enfold us within your arms of grace. And we pray, Father, that it wouldn't just be today, but that through this coming week, whatever it holds, through the year ahead, whatever it holds, through the remainder of our lives, that we would live within the embrace of the Father and to know that even on our best days, God, we desperately need your arms of grace around us. But that, God, even on our very worst days, we are still held secure in your fatherly arms. We thank you that you are such a very good father to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.